You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. We are returning in this uh, spy cast to the story of the Iranian hostage crisis, the crisis of 1979. You will recall that the uh, rescue effort for six of the hostages was led by Tony Mendez of the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA. And in our last spy cast, part two, uh, we interviewed Mark and Cora Lijek. Uh, who were two of the hostages who successfully escaped. Part one, of course, was the interview with Tony Mendez himself. Part two was the interview with Mark and Cora. And today we're privileged to have Mark and Cora and Tony uh, present as we get into the van uh, from the house where they'd been hiding and head towards the airport uh, in hopes of fleeing Tehran. So welcome to all of you. Thank Thank you. you. Tony, when we ended the last part, uh, Mark and Cora had described what it was like staying in that house, which was for up to about three months. Uh, They described uh, the arrival of you and another gentleman and a very pleasant meal that you had. Their impression was, in reflecting back on it, uh, that you didn't identify yourselves right up front. And my sense would be you might have been sort of assessing the situation and seeing if you thought these people could carry an escape off. Well, that might have been part of it. Uh, I think the the idea for not identifying us right away was probably something that Ken Taylor had up his sleeve if he wanted to uh, make it more of a surprise. It wouldn't necessarily be the way we would do it. But never mind, we got into it uh, very quickly, and uh, as uh, Mark and Cora were relating, it was a lot of fun just even to think about it for for the first time, because they had been in hiding for 86 days, as I recall, and uh, they had been keeping themselves busy, but it was nerve-wracking, I'm sure, and... What, what my main job was is to get inside of their head and make them believe that there was a way out of here. And I think that's what our dinner was about. Presenting the ideas, of course, and the pros and cons, making fun of headquarters as, as usual, because 
they insisted on the school teacher scenario and the Canadians wanted us to be uh, nutritionists inspecting the crops and of course it was in the middle of the winter so that was a little strange but yeah we had worked rather rather uh, rather diligently on our Hollywood option and so it was a matter of presenting it in such a way that they would buy it immediately and we'd get on with it. And I think they mentioned that they were having fun. That's kind of the basic rule, is if you're going to do these kind of things that where you get in a bit of trouble, you want to make sure you have fun while you're getting out of trouble. And that way it, uh, it goes much smoother. Well, let me just ask you, Tony, you were uh, in a, wearing several hats in this operation. One was, of course, your technical competency as, as a CIA specialist and disguise and these kinds of, of so-called black operations. Uh, you're also dealing with a group of people in, in a very uh, desperate, in a sense, situation. Uh, just uh, tell us here, were you also dealing with another group or two other groups? Because there were six hostages in all, so you were relating to at least two groups of them at the same time. Is that right? They brought all six of them together for our meeting. So, the, yeah, uh, Kathy and, and Joe were present at the meeting at the Sheardowns. So it was it was not two different groups, although one of the questions that the detractors at headquarters had was why would they would all want to go together? Why wouldn't they want to go incrementally? So we had to have a plan for that, too. All these other plans were somebody's idea, and the only way we could get out of Washington and on with the job was to take all these plans to the people who had to use them. And of course we we gave them some very good advice on which ones were the better plans once we got to them. But it was important to get their buy-in. Exactly. How, how did you get them all together? Did you move them around at night? They were brought by the the diplomats who were helping. Uh, we were we were brought to uh, the Sheardowns, my, my partner and I, the guy I call Julio, and I were brought there by the uh, MP Claude. Uh, and uh, Joe and Kathy were probably brought by Ken Taylor, I'm not sure, I, but the other diplomats moved people as well. And the Sheardowns, of course, were the John Sheardown, and that was the house, the home of the Canadian. He, he was. They were he was. At. He was no longer there. He had left. Tony, before we go to Mark and Cora, what was your first impression on meeting them? Did you feel, in your heart of hearts, I'll put it that way, even for a, a hardened CIA officer, that they could pull something off? That was the only reason that I was in Tehran was to to assess their ability to pull it off and uh, it doesn't matter if you put six pounds of makeup on somebody if they if they can't fall into that role and do that role-playing thing it's not going to work because it's going to be uh, recognized by any trained observer such as a customs officer or an immigration officer or security officer that's what they're trained to look for is the worry waves that uh, giving off by an individual and they they can do it at, at long range so my job was really as a coach more than anything suggesting a role that they could easily get into provide them the wherewithal to to make that work and to uh, jolly them along but we were there as escorts to make sure that they were able to do that well let me just ask you uh, mark and cora 
Had you ever been on the stage before? Were either of you involved in dramatics in school? Was role-playing something that came naturally, or was this really quite a challenge? Other than school plays that everybody's in, you know, when you're in elementary school, I'd never done any kind of drama or pretend. Um, So, no, this is a totally new experience. Uh, essentially the same for me. I uh, did something in high school, but it was mandatory, so I, <laughs> okay. I don't know that I did very well. What, what was your confidence level? In other words, did did Tony and Julio actually, I mean, did you develop a sense of con- of confidence before you eventually got in the van to go to the airport? Oh, yes. I think um, it started actually the first time we met uh, Tony uh, at that dinner, uh, he had a trick that I still can't do. I know he taught Cora to do it, but uh, had to do with wine corks and making them kind of uh, move through his fingers. Pulling uh, it's a like kind of what magicians do with rings, where they they pull them apart and put them together. And uh, I don't know why, probably the amount of alcohol I'd consumed, but it really impressed me at the time. And the other thing that impressed me was the uh, um, fact that um, it was obvious that uh, Tony did this for a living and that he, at least the way it he communicated to us, he didn't consider the challenges we faced to be particularly serious compared to ones that he had dealt with routinely in other scenarios. So. Um, we kind of figured, well, if this is uh, this is an easy job for him, then it, we should look at it that way. Uh, Tony, how did you feel as as uh, you well you, you you took the van? I assume the van was a relatively uneventful drive to the airport, or were there any issues along the way there? The the van, the reason for the van was the story that we developed as to why they were in, in with the Canadians is obviously they were Canadian filmmakers, so they would be calling on the Canadian embassy. Uh, the rest of that story was why why shouldn't the embassy van pick them up uh, early in the morning and get them to the airport and uh, and make it easier on everybody. I myself had gone to the airport earlier with one of the other diplomats because I wanted to make sure that everything looked right, that the plane was on its way or had arrived, that the airport looked right, it smelled right, just to get that last blush look at it. So uh, I signaled uh, Julio to bring them in from the van once I had done that reconnoiter. The uh, the van was a normal thing to do. Just so I can get the picture clearly, uh, they came by van. You had arrived earlier to check out the scene. At any time in this scenario in the airport, were you together, or, or were, you, were you always sort of an outrider? Once I signaled them to come into the airport, we all joined up together, yes. And Julio and I were the mother hens, as we put it. We, we made sure that the, that the chickens stayed on, on, on the straight and narrow and uh, guided them to the airport. There was one thing that we were concerned with, and that was when, once we got to immigration, uh, that certain documents that we had made wouldn't give them up. And we, we were aware that there was a possibility, but we felt that the risk was worth it. And, and so w- once you joined them physically, did you take on the persona of part of that advance party? Yes, I was c- 
carrying the cover of the production manager for the uh, project. So I was from Hollywood as well. I had a different nationality identity than they did, but uh, I was I was the team leader. So there was there was good reason for me to to act as mother hen and make sure that all, everybody kept going. So you moved along as a group. What what uh, at what point was your heart in your mouth, so to speak, when you presented your actual documents? Well, for me, actually, entering the airport was kind of scary because we hadn't really been in a public place around crowds of people for three months, you know, only in small groups of people. So just walking in was a little nerve-wracking. And, of course, I had worked on the visa line, so I was a bit concerned about being recognized by someone I may have interviewed. But once we got in and started going, you know, I felt more comfortable. But when we got to immigration, the immigration officer was not there, and we kind of didn't know what to do. Do we move forward? Do we wait? He turned out he was on a tea break, and he came out. He was very apologetic and kind of moved us through very quickly. Um, We knew about the issue with these little slips of paper that theoretically had to match with uh, uh, a carbon copy that would have been created at the time of entry, and there was no entry copy. But uh, I guess my uh, feeling was that uh, the system was unmanageable. There are too many people going in and out. I didn't really think that, that... And Tony had told us that they had sent many people through the airport to test how well the Iranians did these things, how thorough they were. And and I'd been in Iran long enough to know that Iranians aren't very thorough in in general, so it it didn't cause me any great concern. But we did debate, uh, Cora and I, whether we should just go bypass the immigration counter entirely and just go into the departure lounge. But we figured somebody might look later on and see that the stamp was missing, and so we... We uh, waited around until the gentleman came back from his tea break. Well, and Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you actually get the papers back? Because I know you showed me something in your hand. After the uh, all the papers were stamped and signed, uh, the um, there was quite a pile of paper on the table, and, and it was a small table that the immigration officer had. One of the paper, pieces of paper fell off the table, and so I retrieved it. Seemed like a good uh, thing to do at the time. It was probably uh, a little bit dangerous, but I think the um, the the paper now resides safely in the International Spy Museum. <laughs> okay, so by by retrieved it, you mean you swiped it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just want to clarify that for the listeners. In other words, was that. Was that paper? Did that refer to one of the folks, uh, to, to Mark or Cora, one of the, or was to, it the to uh, Robert Baker, who was okay. Bob Anders? Yeah. yeah, and like I say, you can read it because it's in your museum. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, was that the key hurdle? The presentation of those papers. Were you then free to go into the departure lounge, or were there Peter? Any if more I if hurdles? I may, there, please. In an exfiltration, there are a number of key hurdles. There's one that might happen a day or two before you actually do it when people have a little bit of the man on the ledge syndrome where they're thinking I'm not sure that I want to be standing on this ledge and jumping um, to save my life so it can come very early and then when you're actually doing as Cora was mentioning when you actually make that step even if you're a seasoned 
intelligence officer, the first time you put down a package of alias documentation that you're supposed to play a role in, in front of an official, you have a twinge. So th there's another hurdle. And of course, we were worried about the yellow sheet, the fact that they could get caught up with that. But then we were in the departure lounge, which is where the Revolutionary Guard was hanging out. And they took great delight in sh shaking people down and, and bothering them and so forth. Then when they get, got ready to announce the flight, instead of announcing the flight, they announced the flight had a mechanical problem. And it was a series of twinges like that before we actually got free. I was going to say, Rev yes, please. Sorry, Cara. just one additional thing. You had to also go through a security check, and they were doing um, patting down people. And there was an Iranian woman in front of me. I was waiting to go through security, and I'm not sure what happened, but she started yelling. She stomped off, and the security person sent a man after her, chasing her. And the week before, there had been a story that some women were smuggling money out um, hiding it in body cavities and so my fear was oh, oh now they give body cavity checks on everyone and that's why she'd stomped off but when I went through I got it barely a little pat down and it was fine but I just thought oh I don't know if I have to go through something like that that could be pretty unnerving but but it sounds from the way you describe it it sounds a little bit like when that incident occurred it was something of a distraction for you to find in other words they had had enough of that so then you came in and it was a little bit quieter Yes, that's true. In fact, the lady, I, I think the security lady who was checking me hardly really, if I'd had anything with me, she wouldn't have found it. She didn't pat me down very well. <laughs> okay. So, Tony, as you were going through, as part of the group, you were also a player observer. That is, you were just out of the side of your eyes, so to speak, trying to see how they were doing. How were they doing? I think they were doing very well. And... Uh, there were a few uh, little glitches, like uh, one of the members of the party was reading a Farsi newspaper, which was probably not in keeping with their Hollywood cover, but we were, we were able to get the newspaper away from him. <laughs> uh, gently, or I mean, could, well, for sure. Yeah. With a certain measure of, of, of intent to disarm. <laughs> Well, obviously, they carried it off, but I just wondered how. I mean, clearly, they were feeling apprehensive. You were feeling doubly apprehensive because they were in your charge. You're the one that had said, we can do this. You're the one that had trained them. So you were feeling all, you you, uh, you used the term chickens. You were the mother hen. Yes. So what was what was it like for you right at, at those moments? I would say the, the climax of all that was when they, they announced that there was a mechanical problem. We swore we we chose Swiss Air as the air, airline because of their on time and and maintenance records, because uh, they came very early in the morning and um, they were there and ready to go. But then then when they sh showed up with a mechanical, I had in this exfiltration a, a benefit that I didn't enjoy in other, in others is that there were people in the departure area that were, were providing me intelligence. In other words, these these other diplomats were were still making sure everything was going to go okay. So I had this little meeting at that point with 
a couple of these diplomats and a couple of airline managers, and uh, we were thinking about changing air aircraft, but we chose not to do that because it would cause uh, more attention than it was probably worth. And as it turned out, the uh, mechanical was taken care of rather quickly, so we were good to go. You know, given the nature of the, the so-called revolution, I would think one of the most sensitive areas in the city was the airport and the fact that these uh, uh, guards, uh, like the Comitat and so forth, were, were keeping an eye on folks. I mean, clearly they were just trying to also just make eye contact or just see who looked suspicious and who looked nervous. As a matter of fact, uh, Mark mentioned earlier that no one was in charge in the country. Well, that went for the airport, too. It was really hard to tell who was in charge, and sometimes that's more dangerous than it than an organized uh, security situation. So there wasn't going to be anybody calling downtown to get permission to do anything. They would do whatever they felt like. And part of it, which of course was uh, part of your salvation, is many of them were just looking for chances to shake people down. Exactly. So if you looked uh, enough like a, a Westerner that they didn't like, uh, you might be shaken down just for that reason. Although I think they paid more attention to their own citizens because they were most concerned about smuggling of gold or rugs or that kind of thing. So we made sure we didn't have any of those things. How long were you actually then, we've gotten you to the departure lounge, and how long were you in there? Do you remember? It probably seemed like forever, but... Well, as, as Tony said, the uh, actual repair time, I think, was about 30 minutes. Originally, we were told three hours to uh, repair the aircraft, and that uh, did uh, bother us a little bit. Um, I actually, once we'd gotten into the departure lounge, I was feeling pretty pretty good about things until the, that announcement came and uh, but as I recall we um, Tony got us uh, in a corner somewhere where we could huddle together and uh, quickly uh, discuss this issue of whether to switch the British uh, Airways and we decided it did not make sense because we were too far along we I think had already cleared the final security check for Swiss Air and to back through that um, would just raise too many eyebrows and uh, as it turned out um, um, someone was looking out for us the aircraft got repaired and um, as we were leaving we uh, we saw that somebody noticed that the aircraft's name was Argo spelled differently than the name of our movie which was also Argo but that there seemed to be some some link there. <laughs> so, uh, it, it helped raise our spirits. And they have led you to believe the CIA was more powerful than you thought. <laughs> exactly. Running, running the airlines as well. Was, uh, I'm going to ask you a, a fun question, how is that? When, when was the big sigh of relief and achievement? When did that happen for you? Cora? I think when we cleared Iranian airspace on the airplane. Actually cleared the airspace. Right. <laughs> they could still grab you while you were in the airspace. Yes. So you, you essentially just stayed quiet and mm, right. minded your own business until you cleared airspace. Yes. Mark? 
Uh, same thing. I think we uh, we knew because they they weren't allowed to start liquor sales until after we cleared <laughs> airspace. So as soon as they told us uh, or got the beverage carts out and we could order our Bloody Marys, plus Tony signaled something. We were behind him, and he kind of leaned into the aisle and, and, I don't know, maybe did a thumbs up or something. But he signaled us in some manner that we were out of Iranian airspace. So that at that point, uh, you know, we... Well, we figured it was over. Yep. Tony, Bloody Mary's how about a, for you? Bloody Mary's all around. Okay. That was it. That was the same time oh, when yes. you cleared the airspace. That's that's absolutely right. Well, I always wondered whether Swiss Air knew that we were on the plane, and if they'd had a mechanical problem at that point, would they have gone back to Tehran, or would they have headed for some other place? I. Uh, but, of course, the issue never really uh, came up, and I guess if it had, maybe Tony would have had to explain to the captain what who he was carrying and what the consequences might be i don't know didn't happen so well all three of you have been through an extraordinary experience and and we're so grateful uh, for you joining us today and sharing that with us uh we look forward to staying in touch with you and uh perhaps there'll be an opportunity for you to appear here at the museum on a program or do something and and share it with others and tony again uh, what a wonderful achievement to have helped these people uh, gain their freedom. So thank you all so very, very much again. Argo. <laughs> okay. Argo, exactly. <laughs> well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you, and uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast at spymuseum, that's one word, dot org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you.